Did you hear about this? On a Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, everyone in Hawaii, in the islands, got a message, a text message on their phone from the missile defense system. Did anyone hear about this story? Everyone in Hawaii woke up at 8 o'clock in the morning with this text saying, Ballistic missile inbound. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. All of Hawaii got this text. By mistake, it was actually someone who did an error on the computer. Of course, the whole island of Hawaii was in pandemonium for 35 minutes. Because they thought it was real. Everyone got the text. People were driving to tunnels, hiding in the hills, doing whatever they could. It was absolute chaos. Then they got a text saying, oh, this was, this was a mistake. I want to talk to you today about preaching the gospel because we've got an urgent message to preach, haven't we? Yeah. And you're not going to tell everyone by mistake on like that text system. It's going to take some deliberate effort to actually let everyone know what they need to know. How many of you know that we're not here simply to preach a religion? We're not here to make the church bigger. We're not here to talk simply about Christianity or even just about God. We're here to preach the kingdom of God, because everyone has somewhat of a belief in God, but we're here to preach Jesus, yeah. Jesus crucified, Jesus resurrected, and to preach his kingdom. That's what we're here to do. That's what Jesus has commissioned us to do. It's our highest privilege in life, but it also has a great responsibility with it as well. I think that anyone who's a real Christian, anyone who's truly born again of God, period of time, he... He, he raised the dead, one child that was dead. He, he cleansed lepers, people who were blind could see. And the disciples of Jesus, his apostles, have been watching really. They haven't really been doing much other than observing and maybe helping with a few tasks here and there. If you're ever teaching anyone to do something in a workplace or, or wherever, there's always this principle of, I do, you watch. Okay, maybe if you teach them to do a task. And then I do and you help, and that's the stage that they're at. Then at some point it switches, and that's what's happening at this point in the story. It starts to switch from you do and I'll help, to you do and now you're good to go on your own. But it's still at that point where Jesus is saying, it's, it's your time to do. Why do I say that? Because the reason Jesus said this is because he wanted them to see the world, the people around them, the way he saw them. He didn't just see them as people, he didn't see them as crowds, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. There's a, there's a desperate need for people to know him. He had compassion on them. They're lost, they need Jesus, they need him, they need the kingdom of God, they need salvation, and he's come. And that's the state of people. You know, where there's many times that Jesus stands in front of crowds, there's the feeding of the 5,000, and that's only 5,000 men mentioned, so there could be maybe 20,000, 30,000 people there. I don't know if you've ever looked at a large crowd, but they look a little bit like a crop field, don't they, like barley. And I, and I think this is what Jesus is looking at. At some point or another, he's looking at the crowds that are with him. And he says, the harvest, the people, is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask therefore the Lord of the harvest, that's God the Father, to send workers into his harvest field. And straight after that, in Matthew chapter 10, he sends them, the 12, to then preach, and also to, to do the miraculous works. We'll look at that scripture in a moment. But this scripture, this, this scripture where he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, it sometimes goes against what we always believe, because sometimes we say, well, God is, God's in the business of saving people. God's the one who saves people. 
And he is. Only God can save people. You can't make anyone believe. You can't save anyone. But God wants us and expects us to be involved in his work, in his field. And it starts with prayer and then it starts with action from that point on. And God has always been answering this prayer of the church to send workers into his harvest field. I don't know if anyone's heard of Charles Spurgeon, he was a great preacher in the 19th century, one of the greatest evangelists of all time, really, from this part of the world, east of England. And he said that this verse, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, was one of the verses that haunted him, he even wrote that word, haunted him. And how could that be? Because we sometimes think, well, God's, you know, God's surely the one sorting all of this out, and he is. But there's this cry from Jesus saying, there's not enough people. You know, the harvest is ready right now. But if we don't harvest this field right now, it's going to go to waste. And that's, 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 a, desperate, that's a desperate state to be in. And that verse actually drove Spurgeon to raise up preachers, to start Bible colleges, to do all of the things he did, because he needs to be more workers to do the harvest. You know, I, as a pastor, one of the roles as a church leader is to equip the saints for works of service. I want you to be ready. I want you to feel equipped and ready for the work that God's called you to do. Because God's called you to do a work. Did you know that? God's got something for you. God's got people in mind for you. There's other people as you go through time, through 19th century into the 20th century. There's someone called William Booth. And he started what we'd call the Salvation Army Movement. He had this dream in the middle of the night, of course, where people were drowning in the sea. And Jesus was swimming out to them in the sea, in this, in this vision, in this dream, to rescue them. And then Jesus put them on a rock and he, and, he, and, he, and he saved them, basically. And as the dream goes on, there's more people in the sea that need to be rescued and they're drowning and no one's going to help them. He's still pulling people out of the water. But then Jesus says, I need someone to help me in this vision to William Booth. But all the people on the island, even though they've been saved and even though they've been in the water, drowning and dying themselves, could no longer hear Jesus and were busy with their own lives while Jesus was busy pulling the people out. And this was, again, another verse, another vision that prompted another great movement of the church with William Booth also had a great emphasis on helping the poor as well. Smith Wigglesworth, another great evangelist, again, always emphasised this sense of there's so much to be done, but there's not enough time, there's not enough people. He'd even use his lunch breaks, his one-hour lunch breaks, and say, Lord, who's the closest to eternity? And he'd go out and he'd preach the gospel, he'd preach the gospel with one person every lunch break. And then weeks later, he'd be speaking with his mother, who was a nurse, and his mother would say, I was at work today, and I was with a patient, and I said to this patient who's dying, do you know the Lord? And he says, oh yes, I know the Lord. I gave my life to the Lord two weeks ago. This young boy called Smith spoke to me at lunchtime, her son. And he was just had this incredible ministry of just going for it. Now that seems complete opposite of how we do Christianity, how we do life. But how many of you know that that's when that God shows up in power, when you live a life like that? Of course, we could just live on the rock and just get busy with our own life all the cares of life. But God's called us to a life of serving him, using this life for his glory. And it's often opposite to how we often do our Christian war. God wants all of us involved. Another great evangelist, 
And again, all of these are just people, aren't they? I say they're great evangelists, but they're all just people like you and I. Reinhard Bonnke, he was asked, he's a great evangelist, he saw a movement of, of over 80 million people come to the Lord to this day that he started. And he was asked in a TV interview, why do you have women preaching the gospel? And uh, have you ever heard him speak? He's got a very thick German accent. What am I going to say? And he thinks of all these theological things he's not going to say. And he says, imagine you're drowning in the sea. I'm not going to do his voice. <laughs> imagine you're drowning in the sea and someone throws you a life to you. Do you care if they're a man or a woman? No. And that's the gospel. It's the life being here. It doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. But guess what? God doesn't do that without us. God doesn't do business of salvation without us, really. There's a, there are exceptions, but there's a verse in Romans 10 that will come up on the screen. Romans 10, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And of course the answer is they, they can't. It's a rhetorical question. They can't. How can someone be saved by Jesus who they need to believe in if they've never been told about Jesus? It's not possible. And that's, that's why in time and time again the Bible is urging us to remember the lost and to, to remember the opportunity that's there. Said many times throughout Scripture, John 4, it's not going to come up on the screen, but John 4, just after Jesus has been with the woman at the well, Jesus says, look up, the harvest is plentiful now. Do not, say it's four, do not say it's four months until the harvest. The harvest is right now. You know, right now, there's people, if you told them about Jesus, they would say yes. Of course, there'll be people that, are, that won't, but there are people that will say yes. In fact, I want, I want to read with you now Matthew 10, when Jesus then starts to send out the 12 apostles. It's going to come up on the screen. Just so you can see this in action in this story. He says this, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, who betrayed Jesus. So Judas Iscariot cast out demons and healed the sick. It's hard to get your head around that, but that's what it said. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles, that's the non-Jews, or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. That's Matthew 10. So, and they go out, and again, some cities believe, some people groups believe, and some don't. Jesus explains, for those that have rejected the gospel, it's going to be unbearable on the, on the day of judgment. For those who have accepted, they'll be part of the feast. They'll be, they'll be in heaven with you and I for all eternity because of because of what you've done, your ministry in this time. They were amazed that demons were subject to them in the name of Jesus. They would, they would go and they would preach and say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, rise up, and it would happen. 
and the Holy Spirit would show up when they used the name of Jesus. You know, the name of Jesus is powerful. You know, and they weren't even like us, filled with the Spirit yet. They were influenced with the Spirit. They weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. That came much later. So even at that time of being 12 apostles, mainly unmarried Jewish men, by the looks of it, when you read Scripture, so they would have been quite young. They would have been maybe teenagers, some of them. You know, so talk about experience. Talk about life experience. How much did they have? 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds going out. I want you to go to those cities and preach the kingdom of God has come near. Okay, Jesus. But then he shows up. You know, Jesus will always show up when you go out in his name. Always. Promise you that. He's promised you that. So experience isn't everything. Age isn't everything. It's the heart of what counts. It's the heart of obedience to follow what Jesus has said. Freely you've received. Freely give. We've received mercy. We preach the message of mercy. If we have received grace, we give it away. And you know that word preach, people don't like the word preach, it's become a bit of a negative word over time. Papa don't preach, right? It's become a term of essentially kind of nagging someone, that's the kind of you know, picture you get to in your mind, but that's not what the word preach means. Preach means to proclaim, preach means to tell people. To Jesus it's saying, it's giving away what you've freely given, that's what preaching is. When I became a Christian, my friend Darren, he said one day, I don't know why you believe this stuff. Because I had a real shift when I was 16 and became a believer. I just don't understand it, Sam. And I remember having so many debates and arguments. And I remember this one day, I said to him, I said, look, Darren, I care about you. And you've got to understand something. I've got something you can't even imagine. I wake up in the morning and pray, and God's there. I pray to God, God listens. I've been saved eternally. And God will do the same for you. And that really, that really shook him because I could tell, you know, he didn't have much to say after that. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you've got to know what you've got and then give it away. Sometimes you've got to have the, you've got to understand the kingdom of God before you can be fruitful in it. In fact, you see scriptures where it says that. You've got to have a good understanding of it. So spend time studying the Bible. Spend time studying how the Bible applies to different areas of life. So that when those conversations come up, you're able to give an answer to the hope that you have. And that's what we're called to do. But there are Christians that they don't seem to have a, a great interest in sharing the gospel with others. And I wonder if it's because they've not really understood the gospel. Not really understood the implications of, of the gospel. And what it means, not just for yourself, but for the people around you. That Jesus has died on the cross, he has paid the penalty, he has risen. And not only that, he ushers people into his kingdom, everyone. For God so loved the world that whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. Will inherit and live in the kingdom of God. And God will demonstrate his message with signs and wonders. He'll do it today, if you need convincing. But we've been shut down by fear, I think. I think we've got to a point where we're at this crossover of the Christendom age of, you know, people used to go to church. And now we're at this point where we're a missionary age again because, you know, most people don't. Most people don't believe. So it's important that you do see yourselves as missionaries in the day and age that we live because, you know, most of the people you're going to come into contact don't know the Lord, have no context of what you're talking about, and you need to help them. And you might think... I, I really struggle with that. I don't know what to say. I don't have the confidence to say it. But sometimes just giving them a, a little gospel track to read is enough. And we've got some to give away. Just 
I, I was speaking to a lady at the party of the week, and I said, have you, have you, do you know about God? Do you know about Jesus? And she said, well, my toddler group started talking to us about God. I said, oh, that's really great. She keep, keep going there. <laughs> and I said, here's a little track. This might, this, here's a little leaflet. This might help you. And I, I went away and I saw her reading it. That was not too hard. That was five minutes out of my day. Just saying, here you go. And you never know where that might lead. We were at a first aid course this week, weren't we, Joe? We had an interesting day on, on Tuesday when we did that. There was a bit of a mantra that came out of that day. And we're talking about people who, in first aid situations, uh, a lot of the time, people don't do anything. Someone could be dying on the floor. No one does anything. People are very fearful. And we don't want to get it wrong, do we? We don't want to make things worse. Or we don't, we'll just wait until someone else does it, and then we'll step in, right? Who, who, you know, who's here? Who, oh yeah, good, they're doing it, right? Sometimes it's you, right? And the saying that we have from the day is something is better than nothing. If someone's bleeding and dying on the floor, you can't just leave them. You need to do something about it. But listen, the world is bleeding and dying. You understand that? And something is better than nothing. You might think, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I don't feel qualified. I haven't been to a theological seminary. You, clearly from the scripture, you don't need any of that. You just need a heart for the Lord and a willingness. And he will show up. Of course you've got to learn. Of course you've got to grow in your understanding. But it's him, isn't it? It's him. He's the power within you. He's the power of your power. Something is better than nothing. For those who don't seem to be listening, it's okay. He's planted the seed. But you can move on. You can find other people who will listen. There'll be friendships that you establish, people that you're going to come into contact with, opportunities you'd never imagine. Are you ready to do what I've asked you to do? It's an uncomfortable place to be sometimes, but also it's a wonderful place to be because that's where God shows up. Mm -hmm. People are resistant, people hostile, yes, but there are some people who are literally waiting. They're waiting for that conversation. They're waiting for that to happen. You just haven't found them yet. And God will lead you to those people. When you pray, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his field. He will start sending you into his field. And for those of your friends and family who don't know him, pray that God will send workers to them. And you'll find that suddenly they have a Christian friend at work. You'll find that, whatever. That's how God works. He sends workers into his harvest. I want to finish with this scripture, then we're going to stand and pray. This is the Great Commission. This is Matthew 28, at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And this is when Jesus not only commissions his church to reach the Jewish world, but also the ends of the earth as well. And this is open to us and is still incomplete to this day. So it says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, and this is the most important part, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen.